Old Testament, the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Normally not a book we're looking at when we want to see what's going on in the future, but I tell you what, it's so revealing when I thought it's pretty simple to go there because I found as I was doing my own private devotion one morning, I go to Malachi, I actually asked the Lord to show me where he wants me to go, and the words jumped out as I was reading. The day is coming. And I go, thank you, Lord, I got the message. Let me put it together and share it with the people. Because some of you heard me say last Sunday, I'm going to show you a little bit more in-depth what gates are standing for in the Bible. So you have to be a little bit more patient. It will come. If you don't know what gates are, the gates have been open in certain areas, and that's why we have the demonic mess in the world we have. So... And there are spiritual beings, don't get too nervous about it, but the spiritual beings, they're mighty and powerful. They're ruling over the nations. And some of them God allows to open doors. And when they open doors, there's something coming out, something to it. This is the reason why Jesus said, I am the door. He is the door. He said, I'm opening the gate for everybody who believes in me that they can enter the kingdom of heaven. I am the door. Also translated, I am the gate. And when I open that gate or that door, nobody can shut it. And when I shut it, nobody can open it. He's in charge. But there are many, many gates, many, many doors in the spiritual realm. A lot of them are found in Daniel, some of them are found in the book of Zechariah, some of them are found in the book of Revelation, and if you have time during the week, read them all. And then you come back and say, Pastor, I think I got it. Good. The day is coming. We're going to begin reading in Malachi chapter 3. I know I have up on the screen verse 14, uh, 13, all the way till chapter 4, verse 6. And it's important that we see these things. But I want you to go to chapter 2 in your Bible, just for a second. And we read verse 17. That's the last verse of chapter 2 in Malachi. Please highlight that stuff. It may come back to hunt you. Malachi was sent to God, by God to the people of Israel, God's people. And he said, you have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Are these words that might have come out of your mouth this week? Or maybe for many months as we go to all this trouble. This is Malachi, 2,000 years ago. Actually, 2,400 years ago, to be exact. Who cares? 400 years plus or minus. You know? You have wearied me, the Lord said. In other words, I am sick and tired of listening to you. That's what that means. For those of you who don't know. And they say... Why do you get sick and tired of us? And God says, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. In other words, people have been accustomed to call what is evil good 
and what is good, evil. And this is God, through his prophet, speaking not to the religious leaders only, but to the people as well. Everybody was involved. Let me give you a little background before we go into chapter 3. You may not know that, but it's important. Malachi was actually more a contemporary of Nehemiah, which is much further in the Bible, in the Old Testament, ahead of Malachi. Malachi is a prophet who was already in Judah during that time when Nehemiah was a cupbearer in Persia in the emperor's palace. Nehemiah was very, very concerned about God's people. Nehemiah's time was about 444 B.C. Amalekai is about 430. They just overlap. Chuck Swindle, in his commentary about Malachi, puts these things together, a little summary. He says, The people of Judah began to be exiled from the Promised Land in 605 B.C. and returned from Babylon about 70 years later. By the time of Malachi, they had been back in the land for more than a hundred years. And were looking for the blessings they expected to receive when they returned. Though the temple had been rebuilt, the fervor of those early returning Israelites had given way to a thorough apathy for the things of God. This led to rampant corruption among the priesthood and spiritual lethargy among the people. Malachi came along at a time when the people were struggling to believe that God loved them. The people were focused on their unfortunate circumstances and refused to account for their own sinful deeds. So God pointed the finger back at them and through Malachi told the people where they had fallen short of their own covenant with him. If they hoped to see change, they needed to take responsibility for their own actions and serve God faithfully according to the promise that the fathers had made to him on Mount Sinai all those years before. Does that sound like that could easily be translated into our 21st century? He just summarized what we are going to read. Let's drop down to Malachi chapter 3, begin reading in verse 13. The Lord is speaking to Malachi. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers do not only prosper, but they put God to the test, and they escape. Ever felt that way? Nothing new under the sun. But listen to what Malachi had to tell. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. 
The Lord paid attention and heard them. And the book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day, yes, in the day, when I make up my treasure possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. There is a day coming when that is going to be exposed for everyone to see. Do you know there are books written about you and me in heaven? You say, I hope not. <laughs> it's too late. There's a book here, the book of remembrance. It brings to remembrance to those who trusted God and served him. How many of you would like to get your name in the book of remembrance where God writes down all the good things you've done for his kingdom? Oh, now you all of a sudden take us. But this is actually what the book is all about. Bring to remembrance those things which you have done faithfully to the Lord when the rest in the world was mocking you. Where the world seems to say, if you would be a crook, you would succeed. If you be a liar, you will succeed. If you steal from your neighbors, you'll be a success. And people say, this is almost nonsense to serve a God who lets these people escape. Let me tell you, there's a day coming when they have to give account. Number one, they will not be found in the book of remembrance. Number two, they will be judged. And there's no escape. We're living in a land today where we think we have founding fathers who have laid the groundwork for law and justice. We have no law and justice in the United States, if America had to say. We have a legal system, and the legal system is entirely different than a justice system. God is not a one who goes with legal systems. He is with justice, mercy, and grace. And the grace of God only belongs to the humble. And when justice is being served, there is no appeals court in heaven. It's said. It's done. It is finished. People may don't like that. I had years ago a little inter intercourse in form of writings with the superintendent of our counties. We call them supervisors. I don't know what they supervise, but they gave us a very hard time here at Victory. And I wrote them a nice letter. Very nice. I mean it. Very nice. But truthful. I wrote them that they are put in place by God. And it's the same God who gave them the position. 
is the same God who will hold them accountable. I wrote that there's absolutely no escape, no matter what kind of power or position you occupy today. One day you will have to stand before the righteous judge. There's no jury, nothing. And I hope you will not be found wanting. I send it. And I have been told that I threatened them by speaking the truth. Well, I felt like I did my duty, and I keep doing my duty. And I speak the, the truth. We have to fear nothing. Amen. Let me share something with you. My wife and I were sitting this morning with discussing bold events. How many of you would have liked to listen to? So we're going back and forth, and I explain what's going on in the spiritual. And when my wife and I were sitting there finishing, finalizing our morning discussion, she got all excited, and she said, you know, everybody in the church probably would have liked to join us this morning. <laughs> That's exactly what she said. And I said, there's not enough room. And I'm not so sure if everybody's interested. What we were talking about is... Everything that's going on in the world has gone across God's desk, so to speak. It has been discussed in the throne room of God, where God happens to be sitting on the throne. Not Obama, not Uncle Joe, none of that sits there. God sits there. There's no CIA, no FBI, no DOJ. No such thing. God is the sole ruler. And before him, nothing can be hidden. Everything is exposed. I would have loved to be there. I was not invited, so. So I can't tell you what exactly happened. But I can tell you that what happens now, what we're watching, God allowed to happen. You say, how would our God allow anything like this to happen? Doesn't he know that this is a Christian nation? Listen, God knows everything. God knows that when you have a polluted well, the well needs to be stopped and the new well drilled. You need to understand that just as corrupted as our political elites are, so are the church leaders. And God is exposing it. And boy, does he expose it. We have for way too long been ignorant of the fact, just like the Israelites, once they were in the land, they believed because they had the temple and because on the Sabbath they went to the temple and because they made some sacrifices and because they listened to the priests that God is pleased with them. God was not pleased because they allowed evil to go on in their own midst and called evil good. Do you know what the result was? Since they did not repent when Malachi spoke, God did not speak to them for 400 years. That's a long time. There was no prophet raised up. There was nobody coming from the leadership in Jerusalem who could speak on God's behalf. 
Because there's one thing God cannot tolerate, is when you call evil good and good evil. You say, how does that look like? Let me give you that before I go into the sermon. Are you ready? For the last 50 years, the American church was asleep. In the 60s, there was a wicked woman in America. I don't have to mention name. You should do a little history. Who decided that let's try if we can convince the Supreme Court justices that prayer in school and in any public place cannot be tolerated. The church was asleep. And the Supreme Court judges decided that, time, that day that they are going to overrule the duly elected lawmakers. No Supreme Court judge has been elected. That's not an elected official. They are not lawmakers. We were asleep, and they made so many laws since, including when you can decide that you can kill unborn, innocent children without having to face justice on earth. Oh yes, some people in the church were talking, but they didn't put the weight behind it. How do I know? If you wait long enough, the truth will always come to the surface. The last 10 days, a ministry that is widely beloved in the church, focused on the family, had two doctors on, selling us the vaccination protocol. So there's absolutely nothing wrong. The question was brought up, but the people will probably, or some people will probably object because there are elements of unborn babies in those vaccines. And here is the answer of one of the medical doctors saying, that's not a big deal. That is when you call evil good. My thing is uh, economic philosophy when it comes to this. If there is no buyer, nobody will produce it. If there is no buyer for drugs, we don't have to worry about drug dealers. If there is no money to be made with pornography, we don't have to worry about pornography. If there is no money to be made in prostitution, we don't have prostitutes. It's all about money. And if there would be no market for the tissues of unborn babies, abortion would not be pushed 
as hard as it is. And the church is now, I'm talking leadership, calling it, we can overlook this evil for the, for the good of being, I'm quoting, a good neighbor. Last time I looked in the Bible, everybody I come in contact with is a neighbor. Doesn't matter where you are. On that unborn baby, just because it's still protected in the mother's womb, is still a neighbor. Love the neighbor as yourself. Well, if you are bored, should I kill you? One indecent, murderous act does not make another one right. The day is coming. You can mark my words. The day is coming when the church in America is under severe judgment. I think we see the beginning of it. My pastoral colleagues say, hey, you know, you're doing the devil's work because you bring division between the church. When you preach like this. My standard answer is a pretty simple one. What does darkness have to do with light? These two cannot walk together. I can never ever call people who do wicked things like this good deeds having been done. I can't say it. You and I need to have an extremely strong backbone. And all of you in here and all those who listen around the world, listen, my friends, never call evil good. When you see evil, call evil evil. When it's good, call it good. Don't you dare mix it. We don't have that right. I say I said it this way. In chapter 5, verse 20, 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness? Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. What does that describe the world? Paul, the apostle in Romans chapter 1, where he lays out the whole litany of all these evil things people even make up in their minds or personally do. He said this in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by the unrighteousness, what do they do? What is happening right now in America? What is happening around the world? Let me read it to you again. This is God's word. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. What does God call unrighteousness and ungodly? Who by the unrighteousness suppress the truth. There is nobody escaping from God's wrath. If you suppress the truth. Proverbs chapter 17. 
verse 13. If anyone returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Let me interpret that for you quickly for a second. My friends, there are many, many compromises that have been made by the church and the people in the pews and the people in the, behind the pulpit. And I preached many, many times. I know I'm known as a very opinionated person. That's what another preacher said. My answer is pretty simple. If you don't have an opinion strong enough to withhold the evil, you should never stand behind the pulpit. We don't call that opinion. We call that deep, godly conviction. Oh, we cannot compromise. These are not times to make compromises. I'm not ignorant of these things. If you and I engage innocently in things that are outright evil and we just laugh it off, you don't have to ask yourselves, why in the world is my house constantly in uproar? Why are my children acting the way they do? Why is nothing going right in my life? Evil will not depart from you. God sends us a very strong message that you and I cannot play games with that. We have way too many people in America that ignore these warnings. There are so many influences, what they call today. It's a new word, isn't it? Influencer. What about manipulator? Would that be better? In his book, Dark Agenda, the subtitle is The War to Destroy Christian America. It was written by David Horowitz, which is actually a Jewish guy, not a Christian. But he's very conservative in his views. And there are a lot of Jewish people, good, solid Jewish people, who want to do good and not evil. As a matter of fact, I start to believe there are more Jewish people in America today, conservative, who see what's going on than there are Christian leaders. This is what he said. Religion must die in order for mankind to live. He's quoting somebody. Proclaims left-wing commentator and comedian Bill Maher in... Religious. I know some people say religious, but it's religious. The most watched commentary feature of 2008, 12 years ago, that was produced. Both title and script were transparent attempts to stigmatize religious people as dangerous morons whose views could not be taken seriously. Through the film, Mar travels to Jerusalem, the Vatican, and Salt Lake City, as well as other centers of religion, interviewing believers and making them appear foolish. How did he gain interviews with his victims? He lied to them. <laughs> Big surprise. He was saying that he was making a film called A Spiritual Journey. People wanted to contribute what that looks like, correct? According to Mar, the irony of religion is that because of its power to divert man to destructive courses, the world could actually come to an end. That's straight out of that film. 
He predicts the destruction of the human race as a result of religion-inspired nuclear terrorism. Hence the need for religion to die if mankind is to live. Mars' views accurately reflect the attitudes of a movement called the New Atheism, whose leaders are prominent scientists and best-selling authors, far superior in intellect to Mars, but equally contemptuous of religion and religious believers. By the time this was written, or the script was written and filmed, one of our political leaders who ran once for office said, I give you a new word, deplorables. That's what you guys are, deplorables. Religious people are dangerous people. We need to get rid of them. The leaders in the most powerful Christian organizations in the United States today want to appease them with the idea that they would escape the censorship and the ridicule from atheism. It will never work. You start feeding a beast, the beast comes back to eat you alive. History tells us that. I can easily tell you right from this pulpit, those who do that, their ministry will be non-existent a few years from now. Because God will not protect them. Why would he? No reason. There have been so many people coming to the surface who have swallowed all those lies. And now they don't know what to do. I get up every morning, and I tell you that every Sunday probably, and I, I know you, by Wednesday you have forgotten half the sermon, so hopefully the other half sticks. For those of you, maybe 10% sticks, I don't know. But let me tell you, I get up every morning refreshed, excited, what God is about to do. And you say, don't you live in the real world? Oh yes, I do. I do live in the real world. But I also know who controls the real world. See, there is nothing to fear. As a matter of fact, the darker it gets, the lighter the light will become and shine. You and I have the greatest future ahead of us. I'm not saying it's not going to be a wild ride. I said that for years to you. Prepare for a wild ride. It's going to be bumpy. Extremely bumpy. The enemy never gives up. As a matter of fact, the enemy seems to get strength. And the books in the Bible, they're speaking about the end times. They tell us that the enemy becomes so powerful, so corrupted, so manipulative, so controlling, that the whole world will walk after them, pleasing them. Until Jesus comes back. In that day, it's not going to be good for them. He's not going to come back to Bethlehem. Oh, no. He's not going to come back as a human being. He's going to come back as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in his resurrected body. And when he comes back, it's war. Oh, we don't want war. 
When they say peace and safety, all hell breaks loose. I wrote down for you that most people don't realize because we hear that that God is dead. Just forget that God. I wrote down for you most people don't realize that if God is dead, then everything is permitted because there are no grounds for calling anything an act, a statement, an event, a choice, either good or bad, right or wrong, valuable or worthless, important or unimportant. Why? Because if God is dead, you are God. You call it the way you want it. Or do I have some news for you? You can write your own dictionary. It doesn't impress God. You can make up words. I'm telling you, the world leadership has worked on it for years now to give you only 850 words in your vocabulary to communicate. That was the sole reason why social media was invented. You don't write sentences anymore. You can't speak right. Your vocabulary is almost worthless to communicate precisely. And on social media, you can do that. Clickbait. Or you don't even have to write anything. Thumbs up, thumbs down, smiley face, nobody can interpret, correct? Listen, my friend. This is what you do to three-year-olds. That's how you teach them how to respond. You put a little picture up and say, honey, what is this? A snake. Uh, you never, uh, can you spell that for me? What has gone on with us? Now we cry. They take us off of social media. They finally took the color book away from you. It's about time. <laughs> Get real. Open a book and read. Get educated. Our kids graduating after 12 years of school and can't put a sentence together. Then they go to college and we should pay for it $40,000, $50,000 to finally learn the ABCs. Really? They should have learned that when they were six years old. We get dumber and dumber. Well, like Michael Heiser once said, can it get any dumber than that? <laughs> it is crazy. Going me back to Malachi, I need to cool down a little bit. <laughs> Look at this. Verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. It is vain to serve God. A very famous worship leader of one of the largest churches in the United States of America happened to be located in the wicked state of Georgia. One of his children came up with the disease and died. The worship leader called first because the child was struggling to survive. All these prayer chains to pray. 
believing that the more people pray, the more God has to obey. The child died. The worship leader said, I'm done with Christianity. I don't believe in a God who cannot heal. What's going on? These are all pieces of the puzzle of false teachings. You and I cannot manipulate God, what he has to do, by coming with numbers to him and saying, we put over our Facebook and social medias all these prayer requests and millions of people prayed. God is not impressed. One righteous person who knows how to get into the presence of God accomplishes more than a million on Facebook. How long does it take before you get that? Numbers have never impressed God. Look in the Bible. God raises up one man. Just to give you an example, Elijah. I'm glad you didn't have Facebook. Can you imagine that guy? He would have been banned the first time he spoke. Right across, censored. And then there would have been 800 prophets of Baal giving the reason why such a man should never be allowed to speak. One man. But that man knew how to connect with God. And that man took on the entire religious fake establishment. One man. I have a question for you. The God who answered Elijah, isn't that the God who still can answer today? What is the church doing? Methods, manipulative tactics. Try to shame others when you're not joining them. I don't join anybody in lunatic ideas. I go to God and I ask him what he wants us to do. Can I be wrong? Absolutely. Because if I couldn't be wrong, I would be God. And let me make that very public. I'm not. (laughs) My political left hand. She seconded quickly. But remember, she's on the left. You know, we just have to be normal. We are human beings who make mistakes. How many of you have ever made at least one mistake? Would you admit it? Okay. So we're human beings. We have our faults. We're not always getting it. But we have a God who is merciful who said in his word, the righteous may fall seven times, but God will raise him up again. That's called grace and mercy. When you and I miss the mark, we can go to God. We don't need to put anything on Facebook. We just go to God and say, oh, God, please forgive me. I messed that up big time. And you know, and God looks at you and said, oh, already forgiven. Done. Go on, son. Go on, daughter. It's fine. He will never hold it against you. But you and I believing that when God is not acting based upon our ideas, God is dead. I have some bad news for you. The only one that's dead is you. Yes. 
spiritually. God is alive and well. Richard Dawkins, one of the most, you know, intelligent guy ever walking this earth. Well, this is what scientists say most intelligent. The IQ may be high. The number may go way over your chart. But let me tell you something. Your IQ has nothing to do with your righteousness. Here is what Richard Dawkins, he wrote that book, The God Delusion. If you haven't read it, don't read it. It's not worth the money. I paid for you. I bought it. So. Do, we know, now, uh, do we know of any examples where stupid ideas have been known to spread like an epidemic? That's his question. Yes, by God. That's what Dawkins says. You say, why do you bring that up? That's garbage is being taught in school. That's why. He said, yes, by God. Religion. Religious ideas are irrational. Religious beliefs are dumb and dumber. Religion drives otherwise sensible people into celibate monasteries or crashing into New York skyscrapers. Religion motivates people to whip their own backs, to set fire to themselves or their daughters, to denounce their own grandmothers as witches, or in less extreme cases, simply to stand or kneel week after week through ceremonies of stupefying boredom. See, in every statement, there is a little element of truth. But you can see how Satan works. What Dawkins does not know, he doesn't know much, okay? What Dawkins doesn't know is the very battle the world has fought since its inception is a spiritual battle first. He didn't understand that because he didn't want to understand it. It's like we in America today. We hear the news, we react, we get emotional, we get all upset, we get stirred up, and we don't know. It's a spiritual battle. The principalities and powers fighting for world dominance. Everybody puts itself into a place of the next move. It's like a chessboard. But I like what one guy once said, you know, while God plays chess, the rest plays checkers. When these pieces are all in place, my friend, God makes his move. I don't know, how many of you have ever played chess? I grew up with chess. A smart chess player doesn't have to make too many moves. He conceals what he's about to do. My wife had to be at the receiving end of it many times. She said, we're done with this. Not that I'm a master at it, but I can think four or five steps ahead. God is a thousand steps ahead of everybody. He's got the whole thing laid out. He knows exactly. Oh, we are fretting about it? Oh, no. C.S. Lewis, who used to be atheistic, then tried to prove all kinds of different stuff against God, opens the book for himself once. 
and the rest is history. Because the answer is always given in the Bible. The one who diligently seeks. There we go. If Dawkins would have diligently sought the right answer, like he put the effort into mathematics, he would have found God. See, everybody who doesn't find God does not diligently seek. This is what C.S. Lewis says. The abolition of man, I had to take that book and read it again. It's only 45 pages. It was actually a, a presentation he did at Oxford and giving a warning to the people that if they are producing what they're producing in theory and later put that into action, such as computerized intelligence, such as artificial nanotechnology, he said, if man is going to go there without knowing that God is in charge, man will destroy man, the abolition of man. That's where the title comes from. And he said, the triumph of personal desire over objective validity as a standard of behavior creates what is tantamount to a moral vacuum into which will rush disordered passions bloated in the abnormal freedom from any constraint. I know it's, it's a handful to read this. I understand. Remember, we only use two syllable words today. There are a few more syllables in there. But let me explain that to you. He said, if man is going to get to a place where they take God out, they create a vacuum, something or someone will fill the vacuum. And it will be man pursuing pleasure beyond the wildest dreams. 21st century, let's say it this way. Here's what he says. The three passions are, he said, these passions will, they blow, they, 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 they literally haunt us, they push us into that vacuum. It's got to be filled, or what we would say, you see a problem? It's got to be solved right now. Who says so? If you see something going on, you've got to step in right away. Have you ever gone a little bit too early and you created another problem? For three passions are the lust for sensation, the lust for manipulative knowledge, and the will to power, respectively. He said, these are the three. Listen to this. The egotistical will to power and pleasure supersedes, oh, there's a mistake in there, any less explicit idea or sentiment of obligation to some criterion or good outside of self. It assumes that the pleasure of self is the highest good and that life is an aesthetic phenomenon. Under such conditions, society becomes a jungle in which eventually a contest for the survival of the fittest can only favor the Nazi, the Hell's Angel, the robber baron, and the banks, oh, gangsters. End of quote. <laughs> Tokyo. Well. It's my Swiss accent. This is what we are living right now. C.S. Lewis saw that coming. He saw that during his time in the academia, God needed to be out. They were working feverishly. It started in Europe and he came over to the United States of America. We pushed God out of the public scene everywhere. And C.S. Lewis saw what's going to happen. He said, there's going to be a vacuum being created. A man will only pursue pleasure things. That's all they will do. 
Und er sagte, wenn du zu diesem Platz kommst, er sagte, es ist ein ästhetisches Phänomen, das in place. Society becomes a jungle. That's probably one of the best expressions I've heard where we're living. It's like a jungle. We don't know if we're coming or going. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't, we don't see the daylight. We, we don't see anywhere where we're going. It's like a jungle in which eventually a contest or a battle, spiritual or physical, for the survival of the fittest can only favor. And then he obviously brings all these people who have come up and will come up, who will work them their way into position of powers. He said, the result is not because they're evil, they are, but the result is we took God out of the equation. That's the result. Wow. So I want to see what Malachi says. So we can slow down. Yeah, good. Let's go to verse 16. If Malachi's book would have stopped in verse 15, I would be so disappointed because I would have no hope. This is a hopeless situation. But God, how many of you know God never lets us hang? He always has an answer for you and me. That the book of remembrance, we already know, the Lord paid attention. Listen, they did not even speak to the Lord. The Bible doesn't say that people spoke to the Lord. They spoke with one another. God's people speak with one another. In other words, they were encouraging one another. Let's Make sure that we know what's evil and what's good, and let's pursue and encourage one another to pursue the good stuff. And that's what we're doing here, correct? And the Lord paid attention and heard them, and the book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Wow. My friend, I'm so glad you're here this morning. It seems to me that you came here for the purpose to hear from God and to worship him and to revere and to lift up his name and to get encouraged and strengthened because we want to encourage one another to serve him. There is a huge benefit in that. For behold, it is, the day is coming. It's burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. Wow. There is a day coming when all the arrogant, all those who think that they have to put everybody into slavery. Have you recognized the United States of America lost its official representation in politics and it's now all technocrats who are calling the shots? Whoever elected Bill Gates, bring him to me. We can't wait till God comes back. We need to do away with people who elect those kind of things. What about Mark Zuckerberg? Zuckerberg is a German name, by the way. 
It's, it's called a sugar mountain. That's what the word means. Everybody licks on it. Names are given by God for a reason. Bill Gates, the one who opens the gate to hell. These names are not by accident. You do a little research, I can tell you in your brain, what else, what kind of names? You can do that at home. Listen what Malachi said. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. In other words, God will eliminate them for good. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Not when we act, when God acts. When he acts, this thing is ashes. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at the Horeb for all Israel? Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Elijah the prophet was personified in John the Baptist. And he will come one more time before Jesus comes back. And he will turn the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. God will accomplish it. God will accomplish it. My question for you and me is pretty simple. What are we going to do until then? Or oh, more than praying, my friend. Praying is a very good start. You should not even start a day without talking to the Lord. You know what we need to do? Look what's going on in your life and around you. And be bold enough to call evil what it is. Be bold enough to say when it's good. Stand for good. And when the whole world is against you, when you see evil and you call it evil, don't back down. Evil is evil. And we see a lot of evil in this world. But let me say, there's also a lot of good God is doing. When the world is shaking the most, God is right there. He is among his people, in the midst of his people. That's the only reason why I get every morning up with a new enthusiasm for another day. If God would not be in this, I would be back in Switzerland in a mountain cabin. No cell phone, no email, nothing. I want to hear nothing because I would be scared to death. Want to talk to nobody? I think you bring me a disease if you show up. I want to see nobody? A few mountain goats. Nothing else. But I'm not fearful because I know God is in it. That's why we're here together in this. And you know what? Hold on. God knows how to lead his people. God knows how to protect his people. This world is crazy. And you and I hold the course. Okay? That's all I'm asking you. 
Keep your eyes on the Lord. People normally ask, what do you think is going to happen next? I said, whenever we are at the Red Sea, God opens. Not before. So just wait and let's see what God is doing next. I think we still have a future ahead of us. Okay? How many of you are excited? Good. Well, let's thank the Lord. Let's bow our heads and ask him to bless us. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. Your word is so inspiring, Lord. We're opening it up and there is a verse, there's a chapter, there's a whole book just to encourage us to trust you and to believe in you. Lord, this morning we just want to say thank you again. Thank you for all you have done. Lord, there are days when we hear things going on in this world, in our own country, and we go, where is this going to go? But we know, Lord, that you have the answer, and so we're just walking with you. Wherever you go, we want to go. Whatever you do, we want to be a part of it. And Lord, we're just asking to revive our spirit to a degree that we can walk with faith unshakable in your word, in your power, in your sovereignty, in your provision. And Lord, we thank you. You are such an awesome God. Thank you for all the people you raise up, Lord. All for your glory. And Lord, for this nation we're living in, you've raised up that nation. You've, you've brought many good people out of this nation, Lord. But there's also a lot of evil. And we just ask you this morning, Lord, that you let good prevail. Lord, your people will stand firm. Once you clean your house out, Lord, may there are godly people gathering, praising you, getting energized by your Holy Spirit, believing that the same things you've done in time past, you are still able and willing to do. You have always come to the rescue of your people. You have always provided for your people. And you have always led your people closer to you. And Lord, this morning we just sign up that we want to be a part of those people, your people. May you bless us with your presence, with your word, Lord, with a faith unshakable and with a trust in you. Where else could we go, Lord, but to you and you alone? We thank you and praise you, Lord. There are still good people, Lord, not just in churches, but around in this nation, around the world. And I'm just asking, Lord, that you will draw these people to you. Those who don't know you, may they come and say, the only way that I can live a decent life is if I give my life to Jesus. Lord, if anybody is here, may you speak to the hearts. This is not the work of a man. This is a work of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for bringing wayward sons and daughters back to you. And those who have kind of fallen asleep, that become apathetic, Lord, may you change that today. May they come on fire for you. And we thank you and praise you. Protect us, Lord. Guide us through this stormy weather. You are our anchor. In Jesus' name we pray. 
And all God's people can say, Amen, amen and Amen.